I, beloved Jesus Christ, our Lord, I ask you to please keep in your prayers the repose of the soul of the priestly servant of God, George Vida. Monsignor George passed away uh, yesterday, early afternoon, and uh, he was a great dear friend of mine, uh, mentor, and I learned so much history of our metropolia from him. The good stuff, not the stuff you get from the classroom, but the really juicy stuff. He was from Parma, or uh, Pittsburgh, that eparchy. He built a large, large Greek-style church it's called St. Elias. Beautiful iconostos, this gigantic enameled peacock. You know, peacock represents resurrection on the royal doors, brass doors, or bronze doors. Truly fabulous church. And then when St. John Paul II established our eparchy, he, along with Father uh, Monsignor Michael Moran, were sent out here to start the eparchy, you know, put an office together and a chancellery and all those things. So he was one of the founders of developing our eparchy to be what it is today. And then when he came out here, he bought another piece of property in Anaheim and um, built that gorgeous church in uh, Annunciation Parish, another Greek style, a little smaller though than the one in uh, Pittsburgh, but just as pretty. Well, almost as pretty. That Pittsburgh one, I want to bring it home. Oh my gosh. So please pray for him. It was, it was I, you know what they're going, you know, I knew he's having health issues, but you're never ready for it when it comes. So it, the retreats and clergy conferences won't quite be the same without his his voice, he would always call me. Uh, well, before I was ordained, it was the Duke or Czar, and then after I was ordained to the priesthood, it was the Patriarch of the Northwest. He was always, everything he wrote to me, letters and stuff. This has been quite a week. Monday was just a heavenly day for me. It truly was. Yes, we buried our sister Teresa in a beautiful cemetery in Cleolum. It was a wonderful experience, so peaceful and calm. And then we, I, Bonnie Kelly and I drove to Ellensburg, the back road, which I hadn't been since I was a little boy. And there we spent a whole lot of time with my family, all my grandparents and great aunts and uncles. And, you know, some of them would have pictures, and I could see their faces and remember staying at their house and playing with my cousins, you know, all the flood of memories. And the whole time I'm driving from Cleelum to Ellensburg, in front of me, in front of me, is the feast we're celebrating today. This beautiful feast of the transfiguration. To me, this is always one of the funnest and most enjoyable feasts because it's summertime. It's still daylight out when we're celebrating liturgy and when we get out, we're blessing fruits and first fruits. of. Uh, it's just a joyous time for me. And it was always right out there. Oh, in a few days, we'll celebrate the transfiguration. It reminds me, we've seen it out there, is in Pittsburgh, or actually in Uniontown at um, the Mount St. Macrina, where the nuns live. They have a huge ground. You look up on the hill, and at night, well, you can't see much of the hills, but you see a white, a white cross all lit up. This feast is like that white cross. It catches your eye. It lights up the night sky. And it's a feast, not of just who Jesus is, but who you and I are to become. St. Ephraim the Syrian would say that 
Moses and Elijah rejoiced because they got to see the humanity of Jesus, which they had not known. And he would say, Peter, James, and John rejoice because they would see the glory of the divinity of Jesus, which they had not known. Jesus in all his resplendence was shining forth to give them courage, to strengthen them. He'd been telling them for a while now that he's going to suffer. He's going to die at the hands of the chief priests and scribes. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die, but he's going to rise. So this was given to them as a means to strengthen him during the difficult times, but to be a cause of joy even in the good times. That glory that was shining from Jesus lit him up like the sun. His face was like the sun. His clothing was white, white as snow. They couldn't, they couldn't agree on what it was. The human language couldn't articulate the brightness that came from him. But the apostles weren't frightened. Peter stood up and said, it is good that we're here. It is good, Lord, that we are here. And then being Peter, we'll build three booths. Thinking he's doing a great thing. His heart's good. but And then something extraordinary happens. An even brighter cloud overshadows them. And God the Father speaks. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And at that, the apostles fell back to the ground. The apostles found themselves in the narthex of heaven. Not in heaven, but right there on the cusp, looking into it, if you will. They didn't see the essence of God in Jesus. No one can see that. But they saw what came forth, the life that came forth from it. And they described that light, that life as light. Our fathers would call it the divine energies, the toporic light. And it would seem to manifest itself in people, men and women, who have intense prayer. St. Seraphim Serov is an example. We have a recording of him, his experience. St. Gregory the Theologian, uh, St. Simeon the New Theologian. Many things were written about how much his cell glowed when he was in there. But as we're looking at this feast tonight, and within the times that we are living in, we want to take time to pause and gaze deeply into it and see with what love is exuding from the very pores of Jesus before us. Seeking us out to envelop us, to penetrate us. We hear from Peter the ultimate conclusion of this transfiguration. And it is for us to partake in that. As he would say, we are to be partakers of the divine nature. To those energies of God that exude from His Son. 
and make us one with Him. We need to imprint this icon in our minds. We need to look at it deep. Have it hard, deep in our hearts so we never forget what it looks like. Never forget what the taste of this feast feels like. What the smell of this feast feels like. What the sound of this feast feels like. We must never forget it. Because like the apostles, we are going to need to draw upon it. Throughout the course of our days and our lives. To remind ourselves that the God that I am committing myself to has committed himself to me. Has given me a gift beyond my wildest dreams. And that's just not being a friend of him, but to be able to commune with him. So his energies, his presence, this feast, Mount Tabor, is right here. Right now, he's enthroned. And our eyes can't see it. But if they were, the veil was removed, we would have the same experience as Peter, James, and John. This is the gift of love that he has for us. That we know that not just his humanity, that he was just a man, but also that he was God is God. God became man that man might become God. We participate by through His divine energies, through grace. And as I think it was St. Augustine would say, we become what we behold. So drink deeply this day. And throughout the day tomorrow, take time to look at the icon. Reflect at the divine energies that are flowing through you from him at this very moment. And every time you put the holy gifts on your tongue, well, there it is in flesh. So this is a beautiful feast. A feast of light to, lighten, to light our path. So as long as we have it before us, anything we see, we can see through it, and we can see this feast of joy, this feast of hope, this feast of our future inheritance. This feast is for us. Jesus didn't need it. But you and I do. And he knew that. He knew the apostles would need it. And he knew that each and every one of us here tonight in August of 2020 would need it in a desperate way. This is a joyous feast of the love of God that he has for us by sending his son, allowing him to go on a mountaintop. Because as Jesus would teach us, you don't light a lamp and put it under a basket but you set it on a stand so it could be seen by all in the house. And that's what we're doing tonight. The light has been put on the stand of Mount Tabor. It's being shed throughout all the world. And each of us are to be luminaries of that light. Moses, when he went up on the mountain and had the experience of God, his face would become illumined. 
He'd have to wear a veil because when he came down, he would, the people were frightened, so glowing. But that wasn't a light from himself. That was a radiated light, a reflected light. Stephen, the proto-martyr, when he was being stoned and dying, he looked up and he saw heaven open and he was radiant like an angel. That wasn't the radiance of himself. That was a radiated radiance from God. Now you and I are to experience the same radiance, but from within as we receive the Holy Eucharist, as we pray, as we spend time reflecting on our God. Let this feast be imprinted forever in your minds, on your lips, and in your heart. And let that light shine before men.